0: Get ready for another edition of Football at Four here, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. Mosh, what's up, man?
1: Hey, I'm not sure. Am I, is this the right line or am I on Zoom?
0: <laughs> uh, you are on the right line. You are on the air. You are no on sure? the air, live on 97.3 ESPN.
1: All right, good, because I was on two different channels at once, and that was weird.
0: Yeah, How are you guys doing? All right. Uh, no, we're doing good, man. Uh, good conversation. A lot of Carson Wentz talk uh, throughout the show. Um that uh, we've had some good conversation, good text messages, but a uh, lot to get into today. I know uh, you know you wrote an article for InsideTheBirds.com regarding the potential end of the running back by committee of the Doug Peterson era. Uh, are we really ready to see one guy take over and be the man?
1: Well, I think we are, and I don't see why anything would be different um, with Miles Sanders, who is a second-round pick, who had over 1,300 uh, offensive yards last year as a rookie um, than any other highly drafted pick in, say, the last few 20 years of, of mostly Andy Reid coaching the franchise. We know Doug comes from the Andy Reid tree. You know, Andy, you go back and you find Deuce Staley and Brian Westbrook and then eventually Shady McCoy. And then when Andy went to Kansas City, he turned Jamal Charles, who was already a very good running back, into an ultimate weapon, ultimately, the. The injuries did Jamal in, and then from he found Kareem Hunt and was about to do the same until Kareem Hunt had off-field issues. So one thing I addressed in the in the story, guys, is that because the Eagles really haven't had that type of weapon for the first three years of Doug's coaching tenure in Philadelphia, and he's had to use the carousel or the committee approach, I think people have mistakenly believed that Doug Peterson prefers this style. Instead of looking at it as, well, that's just a hand that he's been continuously dealt up until last year when he got Miles Sanders. And even last year, Miles had to be integrated into the offense. He couldn't just make him the feature back right away, the, the, especially since they had brought in Jordan Howard, who had done well in sharing carries with Miles. But I, I think because Doug tends to stand at the uh, podium and say, oh, well, yeah, I like the committee. Because that's what he has, and he's not going to sit there and say, I don't like my committee when those are guys he's coaching. Um, people have, have assumed that he's a RBBC type guy, but that, that wouldn't make any sense. And it, you have a guy like Miles Sanders who has the potential to be just like those running backs that I mentioned. It's, it, it, to me, it's obvious that they're going to use him in that way, and it's not going to be the committee approach.
0: Yeah, the one question is, like, you go back to that 2017 year when they had Blunt, Ajayi, Corey Clement, and when they got Jay Ajayi, you remember, Jeff, most people were like, all right, they got him to be that guy. And I guess that's why some people felt – maybe he doesn't want to use one guy because that they felt that Ajayi was clearly the best of the three, and maybe that's not the case. Maybe Blunt was equal to him or that's the way Peterson saw it, but you remember that conversation, I'm sure, where when they got Jay Ajayi, it was like, all right, when is he going to kind of take over, and he never really did.
1: Right, he never did. I honestly think when they acquired him, I mean, they knew about the medicals, they knew about the bone-on-bone in the knee going back to Boise State. He was still a very good running back, and it was somebody who could bolster their position and strengthen them and they and they needed it and he i think he is a bit when healthy he was a better all-around weapon than le blunt but i also knew you know when they required him he only had he had two years left it was a fifth round pick so it was a steal of a deal i'm not sure they envisioned him because of the injury history and because of the type of running back that he is or was as the kind of guy that they were going to go forward with for five six seven years I think that they knew that the injuries were always going, to, was always going to make him the type of guy you would want if you had a rotation or a committee. He might get more carries the most out of the committee, but I don't think they ever envisioned him as the kind of guy who was going to be a franchise three down back for six, seven, eight years.
2: If they don't acquire anyone else or if Sanders does go down, do you think that there is a possibility of a midseason trade similar to the whole Jay Ajayi situation?
1: Well, I think, Hunter, that they probably will still look to bring in a veteran. It's just that they're they're obviously taking their time. They're, don't, they're not rushed into it. Um, Devontae Freeman's out there, and maybe if Devontae's price tag comes down and he comes back to earth a little bit, he would be, I think, a really good backup. People talk about him never staying healthy, but I say, well, that's why he'd be a good backup with measured snaps. You're not playing him full-time. But if that doesn't work out, Hunter – you know, there's always a wave of running backs, pretty decent ones, that are released right around the cutdown date. Um, who could probably come into the Eagles and pick up the language really quickly. They may have played in the West Coast offense before. There's just always five or six guys that fit that mold that the Eagles could pick up, um, even before the uh, the idea that Miles Sanders would get hurt. So I, I do expect them to to make a move there. If not then it just goes and validates everything I said, which is that they're in action at really putting a number two in this group who's a veteran, who's proven, and who could like play a couple of games if Miles were to get hurt. Their inaction just shows you that they really believe Miles is the man and that they're ready to go forward with him the way they've done in the past with Shady and Westbrook and and the others.
0: Yeah, which is uh, I think the one area where it makes sense is if if, uh, Sanders got hurt because – What if Sanders got hurt? Boston Scott, Elijah Holyfield, Corey Clement, uh, others uh, that are going to be in camp, are any of those guys equipped to kind of be that guy? Or do you kind of go back to running back by committee?
1: Right. Yeah, I don't want to sit here and say that none of those guys could, but the reality is we don't know. We've seen Boston Scott last year kind of step into that at the end of the season when Miles did get hurt and there was a game, I think, against the Giants – where Boston had uh, double digit carries and a bunch of catches and he wound up having over a hundred all purpose yards. And so he looked like someone who could potentially step into that number two role and have a good, have good games and move the chains and be productive. But the problem is we don't know if he could do that over a four or five or a six game stretch. If he ever had to, you know, obviously he's a very short guy. He seems more, and again, I, I hate to typecast, but it does seem like more the type to be that change up Darren Sproul's number three uh, cr- curveball type, type of back than a than a number two who could be a number one for a prolonged stretch. Uh, same thing with Corey Clement, who just has not stayed healthy for the last two years. I mean, if, if you told me Corey Clement was going to be healthy all year long, I feel pretty confident that he could be that kind of number two back because we saw his, his his rapid development as a rookie to the point where he's one of the, the Super Bowl heroes, 100 yards receiving in that game. Um, Elijah Holyfield, we have to see. We, we just don't know the answer to that. And uh, same thing with the rookie free agents that they really like and they feel have like potential, but you know those guys have a lot to learn and not a lot of time to learn it.
2: I just feel you can always find someone to run the football. I mean, remember Josh Adams, Corey Clement, Boston Scott is even one of those guys. Like, You can always find someone to run the ball, I feel. I'm not saying that it's not important to make sure you find another piece or you find that veteran, but I don't know if it should be as stressful as maybe some people think it is.
1: Well, it's a double-edged sword. I agree with you. You can always find a guy to move the chains. And Josh Adams, if you remember a couple of years ago, had some spurts where he was really moving the chains and doing a nice job. He had a few uh, runs of over 30 or 40 yards, but he also had some – Real problems, right, Uh, surprisingly for a guy as big as he is in short yardage. I believe the stat was he was 0-7 on conversions of third or fourth and one, Um, and he obviously had his issues in pass protection. And if you go back and look at the stretch of games that he played and played a lot, I don't think the Eagles had a winning record in that game. So while you can always find somebody who's productive, are you finding someone who's also helping you in the other areas that sometimes go unnoticed or is he costing you in those areas and clearly you go back to Josh Adams and you say well you know what he helped in some areas but he also hurt in some others so I do think the Eagles would be smart to try to scour that waiver wire uh, at the end of training camp or maybe even possibly before to pick up a uh, you know a veteran or someone that they feel comfortable with to be a number two but again that won't change the fact that right now Miles Sanders is is their view of a franchise back.
0: You know, it's interesting. You know, what does it say about, you know, a guy like Josh Adams who was your leading rusher one year and can't get a job, like how that position is viewed and valued in the league.
1: Yeah, you said it. I mean, like like you could you could just like Corey Clement, you know, he was a rookie free agent in two thousand seventeen and he wound up making enough strides to be a major, major contributor, uh, not just in the Super Bowl, but down the stretch to be that third back behind blunt and Jayi. I mean, he really served an important role and they found him, you know, as a rookie free agent. So you can find these guys. Um, it doesn't mean that just because you can find, it's almost like this. You can find a lot of guys who can get a job done, but you can't always find the guys who can get, who can just be elite at that position very easily. And though that's why there's a difference between what you're going to get from miles Sanders and what you might get from Josh Adams and then also how they're viewed a year later.
0: Jeff Mosher, Football of Four, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. Of course, uh, we're looking at the Eagles in the NFL. Uh, I want to ask you a couple of questions regarding this wide receiving core here when we take a look at uh, Carson Wentz was out there throwing around, finally down in Houston with uh, Rieger, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, uh, Marquise Goodwin, I think, it was reported was down there as well. Uh, what do you think about the depth chart and the positions for this receiver group? You know, I think everybody acknowledges Deshaun Jackson, but what's the rest of the depth chart kind of look like and where do they kind of situate themselves? How do you see uh, these receivers kind of situated on the field?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And I hate to borrow a chip Kellyism, but you know, chip used to say the depth chart is written in sand. Right. And, and I do think that when you look at this wide receiver core, you can pretty much say the same thing. In fact, Adam Kaplan and I really hit this subject hard in the last Inside the Birds podcast um, where we talked about depth being a concern at wide receiver. And you say, well, what do you mean depth is a concern? They drafted three wide receivers. They traded for Goodwin and got Deshaun coming back. Well, yeah, but, you know, if you look at the collection of wide receivers, the only one that's ever really proven anything is Deshaun. So as much as I like Jalen Rager and people around the league like his explosion – He's obviously going to be behind the eight ball like every rookie. So you got to hope that he's up to speed and can catch on quickly. Um, JJ Arthago whiteside was a second round pick who really struggled as a rookie. And he's not like a lot of those first year players also not having that opportunity right now to show that year one to year two jump. And he can really only play one spot and that's the X. And so if he doesn't really show the, the strides that you were hoping for him to show, then you've got to kind of force-feed Jalen Rager at the X and hope he's ready. And if neither of those guys are are going to get the job done, well, yeah, you have Marquise Goodwin, who's got a lot of speed but um, has not really stayed healthy and durable throughout his career and is also learning a new offense. And then, of course, the rookies, John Hightower and Quez Watkins, are, they are what they are. They're rookies who are a fifth- and sixth-round pick, and so they've got to make the team first. So while there's a lot of excitement and enthusiasm about this reshaped wide receiver group that's predicated on speed. Now there's a whole lot of, there's as many questions I think as there are answers.
2: Do you think that Greg Ward can actually improve and take another step in his career or is it more of he is what he is and and this is what you're going to get a steady slot guy?
1: I think he can improve Hunter. And that's a good question because I left him out. Um, he, He definitely can improve because he's a young player And young players can always get better at doing certain things, route running, reading defenses, stacking corners with technique and uh, in a certain way because they learn. You know, Jason Avant is a guy who I thought was an excellent slot receiver who seemed to get better uh, every year. But at at the same time, Jason was never going to be a 1,000-yard receiver. He was never going to have 10 touchdowns. He was always going to be that complementary interior receiver Uh, who benefited from the space eaten up by Deshaun and Jeremy Macklin, right? So with Greg Ward, I think he can improve just because he's young and ascending, but I would say he's not going to – I can't imagine him being a guy who's ever going to be your number one and probably never even be your number two wide receiver unless you have a very depleted wide receiver core like they had at the end of last year. But I do think, to answer your question more specifically for this year, He's got a pretty good opportunity to be that slot receiver in 11 personnel um, because who's going to play the slot right now? I mean, they want Rager to play slot at some times and be a move receiver. But again, it goes back to how much are they going to be able to put on Jalen Rager's plate without a whole lot of mini camps, and we'll see what happens with, with training camp. So when they're in 11 personnel on day one you know, of training camp, and you've got Deshaun at the Z and probably Rager at the X, or maybe Ortega Whiteside at the X, then your slot receiver in those formations is going to be Greg Ward. And it'll be up to the other guys to outplay him and show that they can be counted on to play inside in the slot.
0: Right. Well, okay. So if you were to say Jackson's your number one receiver, I don't even know who you would answer to be your number two receiver. It almost seems that Ward would be your number three receiver. So I guess my question is, is he in any competition? In other words, If JJ Artega Whiteside comes back and he's much improved, and you want to get Jalen Rager on the field, does Jalen move to the slot? Uh, What about some of these other guys like Marquise Goodwin, John Hightower? Does Greg Ward, in your opinion, have that slot position kind of nailed down as your number three receiver, and everybody else is battling out to be the number two, four, five, and maybe six?
1: Yeah, I have a hard time believing that Greg Ward's not going to make the team. I mean, he's going to give you value on special teams. Um, He does have the ability to throw the ball, which we didn't see last year because he was a quarterback at Houston, Um, might see it this year because he's been experienced with the offense and because their receiver core is in better shape. But at the same time, while he he has a a spot very much so probably locked down because of his experience and what he showed last year, he does stand – to lose the most if the young kids and the new additions really play well, because if Jalen Rager is, you know, they want to move him around. They want him to play the X. They want him to play the slot at times and capitalize on his explosion in space, which Greg Ward doesn't have. So in your scenario, our Sega Whiteside's playing well. Well, then you put our Sega Whiteside at the X, you keep Deshaun at the Z and you'll put Jalen in the slot for those 11 personnel uh, formations just to give yourself a little bit more explosion and then obviously Greg would have to come off the field but again we're, we're far from that and that, that's only in, incumbent upon those guys I mentioned outplaying uh, Greg Ward and proving that they need to be on the field. motion here for
0: football four powered by inside the birds so yeah how important is that number three receiver when you got uh, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard too so that kind of pushes the third wide receiver off the field a, a lot I would imagine right?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, like, we look at they played more 12 personnel last year than I think any other team. And I, man, I, I always have the number in front of me, but now I don't. I forget how much 12 personnel it was. But it's not like it's 80 20. You know, it's usually something like, uh, you know, 55 45. So you're still in 11 personnel a decent amount. Um, you're still going to have a lot of third and five, third and six, third and eight, where you're going to want more speed on the field and be in that three receiver formation. Um, but and and to your point, you know we've seen injuries hurt the Eagles at other positions, not really tight end. Although Dallas Goddard had nursed a, a nurse to calf injury last year, but they're really just one tight injury, tight end injury away from having to play more uh, eleven personnel than they're accustomed to.
2: The other day, Gil and I got into the top fifty Pro Football Focus list, and three Eagles made it. It was Fletcher Cox, Brandon Brooks, and Brandon Graham. Do you think that maybe Carson Wentz, Darius Slay should be in the conversation of maybe making that top 50 list, and even though they didn't?
1: Uh, you know, it's tough for me to say without seeing who the other 47 players are and, and how – I know we talked about this and how they do it. their grading. Their grading is position unspecific, right? They just find a bunch of traits, grade them, and give it to the highest grade. So I don't know how many quarterbacks made their top 50 – um, I'm clearly six. It six was six. Deshaun and... Watson
2: was the last quarterback on that list, so that's kind of where I was thinking. Ooh, maybe Wentz could have slid in. He didn't even make the top sixty because they did the the final ten that didn't make the cut. To be fair, Wentz I don't was... think
0: Aaron Rodgers was in the top fifty either.
2: He was not. Aaron Rodgers and Wentz were the two quarterbacks that were up for debate.
1: You guys remember that day that Aaron Rodgers threw five touchdown passes and got a negative grade by PFF? It was like five or six years ago. Um, and he got like a minus 7.5 or something like that, even though he threw five touchdowns. So I like to joke about you know, how, how we treat sometimes PFF as gospel when it's a little bit um, crazy. But I'll say for their, their rankings, it's all based on their formula and the numbers. It's not opinion. It's not like they felt that Deshaun Watson to the eye is more pleasing than Carson Wentz. It's literally a breakdown of all the – the the traits and how they graded out. So it's easy to do a ranking when you just you're just doing it by a numerical formula that you came up with that eliminates subjectivity. Um, so I, I don't really have a problem with with their with their methods and and what they do. And it, co- it does co- create interesting discussion. Uh, I guess I'd be curious to see what Deshaun Watson's overall score was compared to Carson's and where he might have graded higher in certain um, traits that they break down for quarterbacks.
0: Uh, Real quick, I want to go back to that receiving room and and get your opinion on this because we've mentioned, you know, Deshaun number one, not sure who's number two, Ward number three, and then you have everything up for grabs. Do you think both Hightower, Watkins – um, are they fighting with each other? Who are they in a battle with? I mean, do they want to keep both of those guys? Is it really one or the other? I mean, I think that's another interesting kind of thing that will start to shape
1: out. Well, you know, that, that's do they want to keep Hightower and Watkins? Yes, because that means that they played so well that they were they couldn't you know keep these two guys off off the fifty three man, uh, and that's a great situ- situation and scenario. We're far from that, so I think more realistically. You know, I don't even know who, who's the number one receiver. Uh, Deshaun's the most proven receiver, but I'm not sure he's going to be the most targeted uh, receiver, especially at this stage in his career. So it's it's it raises a good question about number – obviously the number one receiver is Zach Ertz, right, because he's the number one um, pass-catching target. But Deshaun's going to be there. Rager is definitely going to be there. I think Ward is as good a shot at any make there, so that's three right there. Arthaga Whiteside, I imagine he's going to be on the team unless he absolutely completely falls on his face, which we'll see. I doubt it. So that's four right there. Uh, Goodwin should probably make the team unless he, again, falls on his face and gets outplayed by both Watkins and Hightower. But if you're asking me to handicap it right now, I would say Deshaun, Rager, Ward, Arthaga Whiteside, Goodwin, and one of the rookies, probably Hightower.
0: All right. Uh, football for Jeff Mosher's here, powered by inside the Birds.com. Uh, the possibility has come up, Jeff, that there could be just two preseason games this year. And I guess that would be to give teams more training camp time or safety reasons, you know, to keep uh, people out of play in stadiums, but maybe this is the precursor of cutting back those preseason games.
1: Well, yeah, we know that the NFL has been trying to eliminate those preseason games anyway. We know there have been discussions about the extra, you know, what, the 17th game that's going to be coming and then 18 in, in a couple of years. So they're headed down this path and they have been for a while. Why I think it's more relevant and pertinent this year, and I assume that if they only do preseason, two preseason games this year, it's they push the dates of game one and game two back. Like, you know what I'm saying? Normally you play your first preseason game like two and a half weeks before you report, I believe, that third week of training camp. And it wouldn't surprise me if you're not playing that first preseason game, the first of two, until four or five weeks into the the, uh, training camp preseason. Because as we've talked about, you know, going back a couple weeks now, you can't just start – you can't just have a normal training camp. You can't have guys report and then by day four or day five, you're in pads doing everything. You almost have to treat your first two or three weeks of training camp like an OTA. You've got to teach. You've got a lot of rookies and newcomers and first year players or second year players trying to improve from their rookie year who need to learn a whole lot. And so I feel like the first two or three weeks of training camp is going to be more like an OTA where there's more instruction and less, all right, let's just get on the field and start our practicing. And so – By pushing those by making just two preseason games and pushing that first preseason game back down, you know, closer to later August, you allow for a longer instructional and ramp up period into real practices. And that also will help you prevent injuries.
0: What's funny because we, if uh, we've been saying we don't need these preseason games, they don't matter. Let's see what happens in early August when we don't have those two games to kind of be like, hey, you know, this guy looked all right. Man. And then all of a sudden you're like, man, I really missed those preseason games.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to certainly take away from our discussions, right? Because we all like to put a lot into preseason games. Or we also like to take preseason games and, and something bad battle happen. Be like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, so it'll be a little bit more mundane. No, I really
0: be- need to see the offense go down and give me a good drive before they take them out of the game.
1: Yeah, I know. It's crazy. I mean, we, you remember the Sam Bradford years and all the – hubbub that was made over the his performances against Green Bay and Baltimore. You would have thought Joe Montana, you know, in his prime was coming to co- quarterback <laughs> the Eagles.
0: Uh, football 4, powered by Inside the Birds, Jeff Mosher at Jeff Mosher NFL. And, uh, of course, like he, all uh, like guys appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Tomorrow, Adam Kaplan is in for football at 4. Friday, it is Andrew DiCecco. Jeffrey, we'll talk to you Monday, Bell.
1: It's been a pleasure, guys. Have a great rest of the weekend. That one by Quick.
0: And uh, good stuff on the Eagles running backs, the wide receivers. We'll continue to look at the depth chart uh, of them throughout this offseason. We're also going to get into later on as this summer goes on, we'll start to look at the divisions around the NFL, uh, the very anticipated NFC battle where a lot of people are going uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is a surprise team with other teams. We'll start to break the divisions down during football at four, and that will lead us right into training camp where hopefully things are somewhat back to normal, and uh, we shall see. It feels like football thinks things are going to be back to normal. All right, Sports Pass Live on the other side. It's Ask Mike and Broads. You guys take over the show. You come up with the questions, you come up with the topics. Use the hashtag Ask Mike and Broads. Send us a text on the text board. 609 403 973 don't forget coming up in a half an hour CMGPT MGPT top five at five it's a uh, five TV series finales that stand out. 13 years ago today was the Sopranos season finale. That didn't make my list. I can tell you that right now. But it was 13 years ago today. Everybody's been talking about it, that the Sopranos season finale was on this date 13 years ago. So we came up with our favorite TV show series finales. That'll be tonight's MGPT Top 5 at 5. You can play along. 609-403-0973. You can also get your questions in for today's Ask Mike and Broads. We'll do our best to get to them. 609 403 0973. 609 403 0973. I should start with this one from Tom in the Villas because I saw this on Twitter today and I know my answer. That's why I figured I'd bring it up real quick. If you could have kept one process player that was traded, which one would it be and why? Was it
2: Tony Roten?
0: I saw people putting Tony Roten. He wasn't, uh, he was fantastic.
2: Was it Robert Covington?
0: Uh, well, My I mean,
2: serious guess was Robert Covington. My fake guess was Tony Roten.
0: No, I, I, I don't even remember. I don't think they traded Roten. I think they just got rid of Roten.
2: Yeah, correct. I think so. I think so right.
0: the guy that I think that they traded that they probably could have helped them out was Jeremy Grant.
2: Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. He turned into a nice little player.
0: He has. He's turned into a nice little player. He has been a uh, good role-playing defensive player for uh, Oklahoma City, now Denver. So uh, he was the guy that kind of came to my mind that I think people forgot about.
2: Yeah, that's a good answer, actually. He has... uh He's definitely turned himself into a nice player who can come off the bench, provide you some spark, give you some energy, and and he's definitely a, a workhorse defensively. So yeah, I actually like that. It's a good answer. I think they missed that defense
0: of like that he has
2: that athletic
0: style. Yep that that he would be the guy who could defend like that athletic wing that they just lack.
2: Right, because everyone talks about Robert Covington and his defense and. Look, I think analytically, it shows that he has quick hands and he's in the lanes, but he's not really a athletic defender. You know, it's totally a different vibe.
0: Would you disagree? No, I think that's fair. I think that they don't have – um, yeah, Covington had trouble on the perimeter.
2: He was good yeah, in it, the – I can't – I don't know why. I, for him to make this NBA uh, all-defense team, I – I just think the number game, when it comes to his defense, makes it seem like he's way better of a defender than he actually is.
0: Yeah, because he's got, you know, his analytics are very good. You know,
2: tips, steals, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's so weird, but to the eye, it doesn't scream that he is some crazy defender. But I guess we'll start with the Sixers question. We have two Eagles, but since we're on the topic, this is from Scott, and he asks... If the Sixers are screwed for the next three years, considering where they are with their cap space, and, you know, I mean, you could trade pieces away, but I guess if the way that he's wearing this, it almost feels to me as if he's saying, look, this is what the team is. This is who they are. They're in some cap trouble. This is who they have. If they are this for three seasons, do you think that they are a screwed franchise? No, because people don't
0: take into account that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons will continue to evolve as players and get better and better and better. You know, LeBron James did win a championship in his first go-around. He was still a great player, but he really wasn't a championship player until he was in his eighth year. Same with Michael Jordan. Great player as a younger player, but it wasn't until he matured a lot more seven, eight years in that he finally was able to do it. I think that's the same thing with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Three or four years down the road, yeah, they might have cap problems and um, issues with the roster in terms of being able to add and delete pieces because of the cap, but they're going to have two guys on their team that will
2: continue to evolve and mature, and their games are going to get better. I also think, too, and I brought this up before with the Boston Celtics and using them as an example, the league is so year-to-year, similar to football and some other leagues. Like It's so year-to-year, and you can come back with the similar team, if not the same team, and the next year just be completely different, and there's a good vibe in the locker room, and there's good flow, and there's good chemistry, and you learn off some mistakes from last year, and things can change. I mean, this same Sixers team, can return next year and it can look totally different from this year. And you mentioned it, it might not be just because of the the flow of the team and the environment, but it could also be because people take the next steps in their career as well. I mean, I don't think if you come back for three seasons, let's say three seasons of this team, you're going to get the same exact outcome every single time. That's just nonsense.
0: Um, No, but I disagree with you a little bit that it's like, so, everything is like in the NBA, I feel like that's the thing. It is pockets of like the same, you know, the same teams are constantly good for like three to four years. And then, you know, they kind of like dip off. It's when you get these players, when you get those players that are like, when they hit their primes and they're stuck in that prime there, that team is going to be good while that guy's on the team, just because it's like, Oh you no, that a, makes sense. If I got you have a player no. that's on a mediocre team, but he's the best player. He's always good enough to make you like the six seed or the five seed. He might not be good enough to win the championship, but the problem becomes he's good enough to make you a playoff team constantly, and then you can never get a player
2: that's better than that guy. And that's the NBA's problem. No, look, I get it from that standpoint, no doubt. I'm, I mean, like for example, the the Celtics. They were horrible with Kyrie Irving, and they weren't good last year. And then it's essentially the same team. They flopped out Kyrie for Kemba, but they still have Jason Tatum. They have Brad Stevens. They have Jalen Brown. They have Hayward. I mean, they have all these same pieces, and they come back, and now they're the third seed. I mean, I just feel like you're, you're not stuck in the same spot with this Sixers roster if you're going to have 3 years of the same team that's all but you're right if the, if you have LeBron and he's on a specific team yeah that team's most likely going to dominate for so, years
0: yeah but uh, i mean that the one unique part about it is the Sixers and people who have a hard time with this is that the Sixers best two players are also their youngest two players and they're already a 50 win team it's hard to find a team where their best two players are their youngest two players, and they're already successful. A lot of teams have their best two players or their their youngest two players, but those teams aren't in the playoffs typically. You know, they're just kind of starting out. They're just kind of, you know, like the Atlanta Hawks have Trey Young's their best player, but they're terrible. You know, you have a lot of teams whose best players their youngest players, but those teams aren't typically any good. The Sixers are unique in that their best two players are also their youngest two
2: players, and they're already good. Well, that just comes back to the patience conversation. I mean, the team, the team, the fan base, really, not the team, the fan base went from process to demanding the championship, and they don't understand that there's the growing part in between, and, and that's the difference. So I think we both can agree that, no, they are not screwed for the next three years if they have to return with this team. And I just want to be clear about the whole Every year is a is a new year, and it's year-to-year year for the NBA. I, I do understand that. Yeah, there's going to be powerhouses every year. Going into the season, Cavaliers and the Warriors, we all knew that that was going to be the finals for those three seasons. I mean, even Vegas bet. You could bet either that scenario or the rest of the field. So when that is something that's on Vegas – you understand where it is. I totally understand that. But in terms of the Sixers and some other teams, I think it is year to year going in with this roster. I don't think because you had a bad season this year, that automatically means if you bring the same team back, you're going to have the same exact season if that makes and sense. They're,
0: and they're and they and again, they're in a different situation again because of the youngness of their two best players. Most teams don't have that. You know, where their best players are their youngest players and they're still developing and getting better. Most, like, for instance, Detroit. Their best player is Blake Griffin. Well, Blake Griffin is Blake Griffin. He's going to They're going to win 42 games because Blake Griffin's the best player. That's who they are. That's what they're going to be. So while Blake Griffin's their best player, you know that Detroit's going to be right in the middle of the pack. They're not going right. to be better. They're not going to be worse. They're going to be stuck there because their best player is who he is. Right. The no, Sixers' no, no. best that player sense. is still getting – they're still evolving and getting better. That's the difference.
2: Right. So, technically, they will not be the same team, even though they have the same players, because those two guys will be taking steps Forward. in their career. Yes. So, we hope. So, we hope. By the way, D-Ray pointed this out to me, our very own D-Ray, with those pictures that Ben Simmons was putting up on Twitter that you saw, correct? What's that? The, picture, the pictures of Ben Simmons working out oh, that yeah, he yeah, put yeah, up yeah. on Twitter – I didn't even think about this, and this was the first thing that came to Ray's mind. That back injury must be pretty solid if he's doing those type of lifts. My mind didn't even go that way. I was just stoked to see how jacked he was.
0: Yeah, um, that's a good point, that if he's lifting weights the way that he is and he's so bulked up, I don't know, is the bulk bulkiness of, of uh, Simmons a concern, or are you excited by that?
2: Oh, I'm excited by it, but I'm just i glad that I wasn't the only one that the back injury went right over their head. I saw the pictures. I was like, damn, he looks yoked. Let's go. Let's see some hoops. Right. I didn't even process him actually lifting the weights with the back injury.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he was uh, really jacked up, and people were like, well, he can still be bigger, but he's not going to shoot. He doesn't need to shoot.
2: Now, something I learned, by the way, about Jay Wright when we were talking about these pictures. You ready for this? I was kind of stunned. If you tried to go headband or ninja headband at Villanova, good luck. Your ass is out the door. Jay Wright ain't putting up with it. No? No. I thought I was a little shocked. Now, I told, I laid out this scenario for D-Ray. If I was coming out for practice, me, right, the energy guy, that would be my role in any basketball team. So here comes the energy guy, right? I normally don't rock the headband, but today I feel like putting it on. You don't think that there'll be an extra sense of juice in that practice because here comes Broads with his headband. Like if TJ McConnell went out for practice and all the guys, Ben Simmons, Joel, they saw him rock the ninja headband. You don't think that there was some energy involved for that practice. All because of the headband? All because it was me or TJ McConnell putting on that headband. Nah, I think the high sock and the white shoe
0: might be what does it. I'm going to have to
2: run that scenario (laughs) by him next.
0: Yeah, if I go with the white. Calf high sock and a white sneak. That's not a basketball sneak, but more like a cross trainer. <laughs> I'll have to get on that. You but know? I was
2: shocked about the headband and, thing, right? If and you- and a long
0: lettuce. Oh, you you gotta have the long lettuce. I mean, that's just so un basketball guy. What did I look like? A lacrosse hockey guy? Yeah, it was totally like, where's your lacrosse stick at, dude? Well,
2: I mean, isn't that or kind should of I say ball? bra? Oh, come on, no,
0: come on, I'm not going that far, I mean, you but- had the shorts that were like uh, mid-thigh high with the little cutouts on the side like you were getting ready to run like a cross-country meet. You're going too far. You might, have, might as well walked over my house with some Umbros on.
2: No, 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 you're going too far. The only thing I was missing that day was the six-pack of White Claws.
0: right. But you had the shorts that were like, hey, I'm going for a jog. I'll be a back. Good eight, a good eight inch right above the knee. Yeah, I'm going for a jog. I'll be back. And, you know, calf eye socks with uh, white calf eye socks with white cross trainer sneaks. Not basketball hoop it up
2: sneaks. Like a cross trainer. Yeah, they were Nike Roches. Yeah, that's a cross train shoe, right? Uh no, but it's in that idea. I get where you're going with with that with that point. Like I'll, have next, to, I'll have to check with my sources if that's okay. Or the anything. only thing worse would have been if
0: you showed up with like a pair of tennis shoes that you would wear on a clay surface. Now, you are blowing this way out of proportion. You know, like if you uh, can't
2: even keep a straight if face. If he so went to Rafael
0: Nadal's house and stole a pair of sneaks out of his closet,
2: Now, if you told me I look like Rafa Nadal, I'm juiced up. I'm ready to go. So, hey, listen, that's fine by me any day.
0: Uh, Real quick, uh, Rico on the text board asked Mike and Broads, love boxes and going to girl concerts are ballroom dancing lessons in your near future, Broads. I'm going to go with
2: no, it's not. (laughs) That's pretty funny, though. Listen, it's not like I have the love box, right? I mean, that would be a different scenario here
0: your girl has the love box.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not partaking in my own personal love box. I don't have, you know, my first day working with Mike Gill in in a love box somewhere underneath my bed. Although <laughs> I'm sure you would enjoy that.
0: Uh, Joey D I would kill for drew holiday or Lou Williams as a sixer right now. Well, they're not process sixers.
2: Although now that well, they drew started holiday, the process, but Drew holiday really. was the
0: official first trade of the Hanky era.
2: I think you can't you can't put them in because that's too easy. I feel like Lou Will and Drew would be too easy, so you might have to leave them out. Yeah, he, he, you can't put those guys in. I only no, if you had you to know who else, You know who else I like? Who's that? I
0: always like Nerland's Noel.
2: Yeah, he he did hit a spot where it wasn't as uh, as good as maybe we hoped for. At, at one point, would you would you have to uh, agree with me on that? Well, here in Philly,
0: the problem was. He was not an offensive player. So, you know, but I think what the Sixers lacked in the playoffs the last couple of years was what? A defensive player behind Embiid. As soon as Embiid left, the middle was uh, was a gaping hole. If you had New Orleans Noel
2: protecting the middle for 12, 15 minutes, I think it would have been a different story. Do you think, and, and now because Al Horford's in the mix, it's a little different, but what are your vibes on Kyle O'Quinn? Because I feel like he kind of gets disrespected in this in this lineup. I mean, I feel he deserves to get some playing time, but then Norvell Pell came in and he was a rim protector and he was giving the team energy and blocking shots. I mean, I just feel like Kyle O'Quinn could have got more run this year than he got.
0: I don't know. He's uh he's in the mix. Uh, you
2: yeah, know, I'm not acting as if he's some elite player, but he's look, not a bum either. When
0: a push comes a shove playoff time. It's in Joel and Bead for 35 to 38 minutes, and then it's Al Horford for the other minutes. There shouldn't be anybody else getting those center minutes. I would agree. And by the way, you. if you put Norvell Pell in the game, at least he's not a gaping hole in the middle. He is a rim protector. You could play him for 10 minutes. Maybe you give him that seventh foul. <laughs> 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 All right, that's Ask Mike and Broad. Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN. The MGPT top five at five. The MGPT top five at five. Five. TV series finales we will discuss. P.T.'s top five, Brode's top five, my top five. You can do your top five, 609-403-0973 on the text board, 609-403-0973 on the text board. So um, let's finish up uh, some of our Ask Mike and Broad's discussions here.
2: Yeah, well, I I think the the texter actually brought up a really interesting point when he mentioned, well, he said he would want Drew Holiday or Lou Will, and we said, whoa, that doesn't count because that kind of started the process, that wasn't a process 76er, but, you know, it is interesting, who would you choose if you could bring back Drew or Lou Will right now? I'm going Lou Will of those two. I think Lou Will off the bench would be phenomenal, but imagine a drew holiday as the, I want to go as far as primary ball handler, but shares the ball 50% with Ben Simmons. And then you have like a true point guard with Ben as well out there. It would just be a really awesome uh, display between those two. I, yeah, think.
0: I think Lou gives them that, you know, that guy, I don't want to say like Jimmy Butler, but he's the guy that can put the ball on the floor, create himself, score tough buckets, shoot the ball uh, f- shoot the three. I mean, he's not a great three point shooter, but he's not terrible. I mean, like Butler is just, Jimmy Butler's not a good three point shooter. Like he's just not a good three point shooter, but he'll take the big three point shot. If you want him to, it's just not what he's great at. I think Lou will, would almost be a better fit than
2: Jimmy Butler. Oh, I agree. Ironically I- enough. No, I, I think so. I think that's a good point to make. With Drew Holiday, it's funny. I I kind of see Josh Richardson as a poor man's version of Drew Holiday.
0: Yeah, I mean Richardson's probably a better defender. I mean Lou's not a great defensive player. And another difference between you know Lou is small. He's only six one. Where you got Richardson can defend different guys. Lou, the problem with him is uh, he's not going to be able to defend other more guys other than really the point. Yeah, the
2: defensive part of his game would be an issue, but That's where Butler you, would be better. Oh, no doubt. But he gives you that that bucket. I mean, you need a bucket getter. I don't think the Sixers team really has a bucket getter, could Lou will be it.
0: Right, exactly. And that's the difference between him and Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday's a good guy, good bucket getter, not. Uh Lou
2: Williams is one of the better bucket getters in the league. Oh, no doubt. Now, we we brought this up a couple of weeks ago about Bradley Beal because I guess there were some discussions about Bradley Beal and, and maybe being traded or whatever. And everyone always brings up the fact that he's underrated. And then there's the cliche argument, well, if everyone says the same person's underrated, is he really underrated? Now, I would say that Drew Holiday falls under that category of underrated more than Bradley Beal. Because I feel like Bradley Beal's underratedness is almost brought up so much that – Is he really underrated? Well,
0: he's underrated because the team he plays for stinks.
2: But as an individual talent,
0: nobody knocks him. No, um, he's... Bradley Beal is the guy. He's like the the classic, is he the good player on the bad team? And if he went to a good team, would he be... He can't obviously be the best player on, on... the team that wins a championship because he's the best player on this team and he has John Wall in the past and they can't win a playoff round so I don't know if Beal he
2: averages 30 points a game I know it's wild but the team stinks like how can you be so good like if you're that good at some point you would think that they'd win more games than they do I'm not trying to knock him but don't you think yeah I think Bradley
0: Beal is your high-end he would be a chur don't know Guy averaging 30 points a game, obviously, would be a tremendous number three.
1: But oh, keep in yeah. mind,
0: he only shoots 35% from three. Now, he shoots eight threes
2: a game, but 35% is nothing special. Let me ask you this. If he's on the Golden State Warriors, you take Klay Thompson off, and he fills that role, do you still think they dominate?
0: Uh, Probably. I mean, him and Curry would be pretty tough.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you <laughs> lose a lot defensively, though. Klay Thompson's true. a hell of a defender.